Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be. What does that say? What? What? What is this? Talking Kansas football? Who is writing this show? Yeah, I, I, I didn't expect it to happen that way either. But sometimes that's the way that it happens. And with that, we welcome you in to episode 85, a very special episode of the Keeper of the Games podcast, still the only podcast that cares about the stuff that you care about, and that's sports in and around Adventures to Wichita, Kansas. I am Blake Cripps, joined by an under-the-weather Tommy Caster, who's going to pull it through because, Tommy, there is actually a lot to get to on this show today. Yeah, there is. And, uh, you know, I told you before we came on uh, today that had it not been for probably just the Jayhawks winning, which I know we're going to get to uh, as our lead story. If it wasn't for them, I might have said I'm out this week. I'm not sure I can do it. Uh, I don't feel great. I've been under the weather for the last couple of days. Uh, I didn't have a voice when I woke up today. But here I am, I'm pushing through, I'm powering through, because I did not want to miss this episode. So, our listeners out there, and especially you, Blake Cripps, you should be grateful and thankful that I have graced my graced you with my presence today. Uh, you know what I would say? I would say your voice is a long way from your heart, sir. It's a oh, long way enough. from your heart this time of year when we, well, it's not Stanley Cup playoff time, but it is a big time of year for college football. Uh, we will get to all of the college football action from the weekend and also uh, some professional football action. Things a uh, very, very, very good week for football fans here in Sedgwick County, I would imagine. And we are live on cogsports.com, of course, facebook.com slash keeper of the games at cogpod on Twitter cogpod.podomatic.com will be the best place to find this episode as you are tuning in on this Tuesday this week. Videos are on YouTube. The audio is pretty much everywhere. iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, Apple, and probably many other fruits and vegetables as well. Coming up on the show today, Kansas City hitting it big in Vegas. Kansas State wins their fourth in a row. And we begin with Kansas staring into the eyes of Texas uh, I, I'm not sure that this was anything that I could have ever anticipated, and I made the comment on Twitter, I wasn't quite sure what I was actually watching. But the Kansas Jayhawks went down to Austin, and let's be honest, defense was really just a suggestion in this game. Kansas's defense was somewhere between terrible and egregiously awful. So the, 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 let's not make any mistake here and say, oh, well, Kansas is back. They're going to make a bowl game next year. You won't be hearing any broad proclamations from me. Maybe Tommy will have some. I'm not going to try to force feed you any of that slop here today. However, I don't think that this is any, by any stretch of the imagination, hyperbole when I say that offensively, this was probably the most complete offensive football game by a Kansas Jayhawk team since the Mark Mangino era. As KU rolled up 400, 
and 20 yards on Texas, averaging five yards a carry. And the passing game was not chock full of big plays, but it was very efficient, extremely methodical, and not from a guy that we necessarily had any high expectations for coming into the year. The future comes in and takes control in the present. The third-string quarterback, Jalen Daniels, goes 21 for 30, 202 yards, three touchdowns with no picks. Kwame Lasseter, the second at a big game, 12 catches, extremely impressive as the Jayhawks win in overtime in a game that they really kind of dominated early, scoring 35 first-half points and route to a 35-14 halftime lead. They would tack on the first score, uh, the second score in the third period. However, the Longhorns rallied back, and it took overtime, and it took a two-point conversion in overtime, but it was the Jayhawks somehow pulling this out to win it 57-56 to as Devin Neal rushes for two yards and Mr. Casey from Plainville, Kansas is the hero. Uh, Tommy, what do you make of this unbelievable result that ended a over 50-game road losing streak in Big 12 play for the Jayhawks? Yeah, the, the last time that Kansas won a Big 12 road game was during the Bush administration. If that, uh, <laughs> I, I was in attendance as a student at Kansas, or yeah. I, maybe it was the year after I left. It was the year after I left. Unbelievable. <clears throat> you know, you said that uh, you know nobody was going to hear any bold proclamations from you. No, um, but maybe from me. I'll give you a bold proclamation, uh, and I've said it before. I'm just going to reaffirm it. Lance Leipold is the right guy for Kansas to pull them out of the dumpster. He will, mark my words, be successful as the head coach of the University wow. of Kansas. On I do have some that, questions for you about that, top, but I'll let you continue. On top of that, I have no doubt in my mind that Travis Goff is absolutely the right choice to be the athletic director for the University of Kansas and to move not only the Jayhawks football program forward, but every sport forward. I was 1000% on board with the hirings for both Goff and Leipold from day one. Anybody can check the receipts. I said it when the day, even before Leipold was hired, that no, he you was were my choice. A hundred percent, the Leipold guy. I I back you up. And give you full credit. Not that me and I will point out. Not like me and Weston said that. Oh, Lance Leipold can't coach football or anything like that. But you were the Leipold guy. I give you credit. Yeah. Uh, so I believe that this game. While I agree with you, it does not signify by any stretch of the imagination that Kansas in its current state is back, whatever, you know, I'm using quotation marks sure. for our, our, our listeners that are not watching this, uh, whatever back actually means. But make no mistake about it. The Jayhawks are not back. But this was, in my opinion, a watershed moment for the University of Kansas football program. This lays the foundation. This is a game that I guarantee you that the University of Kansas football staff will go out and use this moment, use this game against the Longhorns when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to fundraising, when it comes to player development, when it comes to all of the above. Words cannot describe how 
impactful a victory like this and getting the monkey off the back of not just Lance Leipold and Travis Goff, but the program as a whole from the last 13 years, the last time that Kansas won a Big 12 road game, what that means to this program moving forward. It's building blocks, it's progress. And you know, we've we've gone week in and week out talking about the Jayhawks and talking about how really this season was just more about progress. It was more about, are we seeing momentum in the right direction? And you know what? It absolutely is valid and relevant to talk about momentum on the football field, but it should not be understated what kind of momentum can take place off of the football field on all those things I just mentioned, recruiting, fundraising, et cetera, et cetera. And a victory like this starts that building block, starts the foundation built for the Lance Leipold and Travis Goff era at the University of Kansas. And I wholeheartedly believe that we will continue to see that that progress, incremental progress, whether it's from game to game or year to year. I think that this was a, a massive moment, not just on the field, but everything comparatively speaking. It might be the last time, the first time that KU has scored over 50 points in a game since they beat Kansas State 52 to 21. That was in the eight and five 2008 2009 season. Um, that that's possible. I did not fact check that. I was just looking here on the schedule. Tommy, this is a topic that came up before earlier on the show, and it came up after KU was so valiant in their game against Oklahoma, the number three team in the country at the time, 35-23, let it slip away, and we said, okay, you know, it doesn't matter. It's still positivity. You know, this is not the time to look at how the team plays down the stretch of a game. Next week, they came out and got busted by 52 against Oklahoma State, and you mentioned correctly so, that this is something that has happened several times in this over a decade's worth of futility, where Kansas will have a good game against TCU. They beat Texas before in 2016. They will win these games. They, you know, beat, hell, Les Miles beat Boston College rather emphatically a couple of years ago. And they would come out the next game, the next stretch of games, and you would look back and say, what was that all for? What did it mean? What was it worth? And the answer was nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. So while I am excited about this, especially because it's happening against the team that, by the way, is SEC ready? What a joke. And the the fact that KU was chanting SEC at Texas was absolutely beautiful. Um, I'm going to ask you, A very serious question. Why is this time different? Because we have seen this script before and we have had our hearts ripped out the next week. And, you know, I had some KU friends on Twitter. You know, I had, you know, like a joke tweet up from, you know, that week when Les Miles got fired and then Jeff Long got fired. And I reinstated my own personal state of distress to KU football that week. Um, And I lifted it today. And one of my friends tweeted at me and said, hey, you know, just because they did this, doesn't mean they're that good of a program, and it also means that they better not go out and get dunked by 30 by TCU in West Virginia the next two weeks, which I totally agree with. So, Tommy, why is this going to be different? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I've been thinking about this for the last 72 hours or so. What makes this victory different? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it, to me, just comes down to... Um, a gut feeling 
Uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of like me thinking that wholeheartedly that Lance Leipold was the, the right guy prior to him even being hired. I just had a gut feeling. Something just tells me that this is different. And, and, the, and it goes back to the process that the University of Kansas had. And we talked about it on this show when they hired Travis Goff and Lance Leipold. We've seen the University of Kansas try and spectacularly fail in their process in rebuilding this football team in the past. <laughs> they've times. gone they've gone with guys like Turner Gill and David Beatty who were completely unproven. They were guys and unprepared. You know, and unprepared. Um, they've gone with the big splash big hire in Charlie Weiss and Les Miles. They've done they've done both a couple of different times. And flamed out horrifically. Right. And neither neither one of those approaches has worked. This was different. Uh, and I, I think it was different partially due to the fact that there was not an athletic director making the hire. Um, they, you know, Travis Goff and Lance Leipold were hired around the same time. Um, yeah. And I, and I, maybe the timeline is a little bit fuzzy. Maybe Travis Goff was involved in the hiring of Lance Leipold. I don't exactly he couldn't remember, have had as much input but, as right. a sitting athletic director right. could have had. And, and what no I mean, yeah, what I mean by that is just, they were hired pretty much simultaneously. Um, so my point being is, is that a lot of times athletic directors, they're prideful people. I get it. Uh, and a lot of times they're hiring for their jobs. And, you know, in, in these different situations, we had, you know, Shea and Zinger, who I feel like really wanted to make a big splash with Charlie Weiss and it didn't work out. Then went to David Beatty going the complete opposite direction, overcorrecting to an unprepared, uh, not ready guy and David Beatty. And then Jeff Long comes in and wants to do the big splash for himself, wants to make a big name for himself. What makes Lance Leipold different is that he's not unproven. He is he has rebuilt that Buffalo program. He did that and he took them to bowl games. Also, he's not a huge splashy hire, so he's neither. He, you know, the, the University of Kansas this time did not take either one of those approaches that we saw with Turner Gill and David Beatty or Charlie Weiss and Les Miles. It is literally a proven coach at a D1 level who has rebuilt programs before and is just a football coach. You know, I, I watched him give the interview after the game. The guy sounds humble. The guy sounds just like a solid guy. He doesn't speak in, you know, crazy euphemisms like Les Miles did. You know, he doesn't have the quote unquote football talk that I heard guys like David Beatty make. And Turner Gill had all these different sayings. He's not and, you know, quite put together, is he? He's, he's just, just a, a normal guy. He's just he's a just normal a coach. guy, a normal football coach who ha who has a proven track record of success. So I guess to circle back around to your actual question, and it's probably not I, I don't have, you know, documented facts to back it up. This one <laughs> sure. just feels different to me. And maybe I'm the only one it does, but it just feels different to me. I, 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 I don't blame you for the feeling. And I certainly am looking for that. Um, I'm not saying that this can't happen the other way. And, you know, maybe if they get trucked by TCU, you know, if they come back and, you know, what if they beat West Virginia at home? And, you know, by the way, it'd be nice to see Memorial Stadium pretty full if they play well next week at Fort Worth. Coming back for the last home game, it'll be senior day for a lot of these Jayhawks. It would be great to see a lot of people out there the Saturday after Thanksgiving for a 6 p.m. Uh, kickoff on FS1. That would be great to, to see the fans more full. The the stand the fans the stands more full of fans. I guess I I should say. Um, 
I mentioned that I had some questions about Lance Leopold. Sure. And the questions that I have are not necessarily in terms of him as a leader or an overall coach, because I think it's obvious that, you know, in terms of leadership, you know, running the program, the administration of a Division I college football program in a Power Five conference, he ticks the boxes. He does for me. I have some serious questions about some in-game tactical decisions. Sure. Going for it on fourth down inside your own 35-yard line with less than three minutes left. Tommy, what are we doing? This is not the first time that this has happened this season. And I get, oh, it worked out and yada, yada. You know, Texas scored with 22 seconds left. If Kansas gets the stop after punting and everything else is the same as it happened, Kansas wins in regulation. Sure, we don't have as nice of a story, but who do we think we are going for it on our own 35-yard line when we have not stopped Texas at all the whole night? I mean, yeah, we were playing well offensively, but that that's just Bill Belichick's stupidity. I cannot defend what Lance Leopold did there. How in the world can we justify and take the next step if we're going for it at the state our program is currently in on fourth down inside our own 35? I could not believe that that was the decision we made. I was not upset with that decision at all. In fact, I think, it was, I think it was the right decision. I think it was a terrible play call, but I think it was the right decision. I didn't like the play call either. but The reason that it was the right decision, and you, you referenced it in your open. You answered your own question when you were talking about the game in your open on this topic. The KU defense was abysmal. They couldn't stop my nose from running, and my nose has been running all weekend long. <laughs> so it's quite a visual. <laughs> if you, if you have you know even a minute left on the clock, and your defense cannot stop the Longhorns, all you need is one more yard, and that pretty much ices the game at that point. You've pretty much assured yourself a victory. Instead. You know, the other option is punt the ball away and let your Swiss cheese defense, which we had talked about all season long as being the worst part of this Kansas team. I made my prediction in our college football preview back in September that Kansas would probably rank last in the nation when it comes to defense. It's not I that bold of a prediction, I, actually. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't checked the stats. I, I would imagine, you know, KU is somewhere close to that. Have to be very low. But... That was your option. Punt the ball away and just hope and pray that Texas doesn't score the touchdown, which they probably will, or be bold, try to ice the game and win it. And then if you don't, then Texas is probably going to score. But at least if you go for it, you have a chance to just ice the game and get it over with. So I thought that was the right decision from Lance Leipold in that situation with the current team that he has. Would he make that decision if the defense for Kansas was better? I doubt it. Would he make that decision a year from now, two years from now, when he's got you know a better recruiting class hopefully coming in? I doubt it. But in that situation and with what the offense had been doing all game long and the fact that they had been moving the ball down the field pretty easily. I think that was absolutely the right move. And the other thing philosophically that I want to point out is that it was the absolute right move for Lance Leipold to make to show Kansas fans that he is in it to win the game, not in it to 
played and not to lose in it to win the game. And so I was totally okay with it. Again, I thought the play call was questionable. I did not like that whatsoever. I know the ESPN U crew was all over it as being the worst decision ever. I don't think it was. And if Kansas had lost the game, yeah, he was going to face some tough questions. Yeah. But I think ultimately him being aggressive served Kansas well. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the analytics and, you know, I don't think that there's oh, any way. Analytics that, are just a fancy way of trying to justify an opinion. I mean, there are statistics that do justify an opinion. If you do something that doesn't work a majority of the time, then that's just not Fourth and looking inches. at the information. Fourth and inches to win the game and ice it away. You're going to tell me that nobody else would do that? Absolutely they would. Well, I mean, I still don't think it was the right decision. However... I do like this, the two-point conversion call in overtime. 100% behind that. And what an uh, unbelievable story it is for, for Kansas with a guy who has literally never played at all, like a single down. He doesn't even get credited for a reception in the game. He doesn't even get a statistic in the game. But <laughs> this guy, Casey... Number 47, and it the, the video is all over uh, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter about his parents and his family down there watching the game. And I think that was him, and, you know, and it turns out it was him. Um, I thought that that play was amazing. And, and also, what, a, what an absolute unbelievable play by Jalen Daniels. Which leads me into my next question. Third string quarterback, um, the, the Jason Bean experiment is over. I mean, he, next year, there is no question that Bean cannot be your guy next year. Um, Daniels, the offense has looked good in a, a small snippet last week. It looked better with Daniels than Bean. This week, obviously, is the best offensive season, uh, game that the Jayhawks have had all season. I was 100, 1,000, 1 trillion percent against burning the red shirt coming into the game that you cannot burn the red shirt. If you truly believe that he is the future, the building block, the bill Whittemore that you're going to build this program on like Mark Mangino did those years ago, you cannot sacrifice that for a win in Texas, even two wins. If you beat West Virginia or TCU, do you play Jalen Daniels or do you preserve the red shirt with two games left you got a TCU team that doesn't play a head coach that doesn't have a head coach. West Virginia is, you know, mediocre at the very, very best. Uh, this is a really tough question for me, and I'm not sure that I'm as 100 or 1000 percent on this answer as I was about, you know, 72 hours ago. I think it's going to come down less about the red shirt situation and more about the injury situation for Kansas quarterbacks. Uh, you know, if Lance Leipold's hand is forced and Jason Bean and or Miles Kendrick are not ready to go, then, yeah, I think obviously you have to play Jalen Daniels. Uh, he's the you healthiest can't, you one. You not have a quarterback. You can't not have a quarterback, right? So if his hand is forced, then, yeah, I think you have to play him. Um, but it, I, I, you know, you've got two games left in the season. I know, like, emotionally and moving forward, you know, it makes sense to saddle up with the guy that is, you know, that got you that watershed moment or whatever. It reminds me of a couple of years ago, not to the same extent, but a couple of years ago when uh, a lot of KU fans were really clamoring and lobbying for Carter Stanley. 
And for whatever reason, I believe Les Miles was the coach at that time, or maybe it was even David Beatty. There were a couple of other guys that were, you know, had been playing. Carter Stanley was like the third string, but he came in and gave KU some energy, kind of boosted things up a little bit for them. And then they rode the hot hand. Uh, So, you know, I understand that whole red shirt situation. I don't think it's going to come down to that. I think it's going to come down more to the injury situation at quarterback for Kansas. But the other thing is that what I was so impressed with, with Jalen Daniels. And I think another reason why this to me is different than any of the other previous coaching staffs is because I remember, and I don't know if you do, but I remember watching Dalen Jalen Daniels play last season And granted, he was barely 18 years old. He was the youngest guy on the team. He looked awful a lot of the time. Like, he looked like he did not know what he was doing or where he was. Nobody knew what they were doing last year. But he was way rushed out there. With well before he was ready to play, for it sure, reminds me of like the you know minor leaguers for Kansas City that they called up to pitch during the summer inexplicably <laughs> that were not ready to go. That's what Jalen Daniels was last was season at Kansas. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And so I'm watching him this year, and I'm like, this guy is night and day different than what he was a year ago. Now he's 100%. a year he's a year older, but to me, it also shows the development that this coaching staff has been able to put into place with a guy like Jalen Daniels who went into the season redshirting. Like, he's been putting in the work and they've been working on developing him for the future. And that's what has been so severely lacking with this program for so long. We got a glimpse of what this coaching staff is doing for the future of Kansas football in Jalen Daniels. We got a sneak peek over the weekend against Texas. So, yeah, like, I think ideally you'd love to preserve that redshirting and, you know, sit him for the last couple of games and just think of how much better he'll be even next season. But, you know, I don't know. It was really impressive, though, to watch him play. And I, you know, the other thing that I hadn't thought about when I tweeted it out, um, you know, before the game, and, and it, I don't take that. I'm not going to hide from the tweet or take it back or anything. You know, I'm 100% honesty at the time. If I get it wrong, I get it wrong. Um, but the one thing I didn't think about is what does Jalen Daniels want to do? Does Daniels sure. want to play? You know, how do you, how does that sit or land in the locker room if you say hey you know we gotta pull him we're gonna pull him out we're gonna save him you know the other thing you have to consider is what if he gets hurt these last two games you know there's a lot of things that you know you have to think about but you can't necessarily make a decision on because i mean he could get hurt walking to class tomorrow he could get in a car accident there are a hundred things that you that could happen that would be bad that you can't control as as a football coach so i think that you know what you know the relationship that Coach Leipold has with Jalen Daniels and give him a lot of credit, too, because obviously he has not been just taking this year as a vacation year to stay at home and play video games or chase chicks on campus. He's been putting in the work, especially up here in the in, you know, the the space between the years as well, because as you mentioned, um, you know, the the reaction, the intelligence and just being able to absorb information. It's not necessarily about being smart. It's being able to absorb information and make a quick decision. He has done that. So all credit to him. Three o'clock next week on ESPN Plus. One thing that you're looking for from that game and over the last two weeks to end the season. And Tommy, I know we said that we were going to sunset KU football. I guess we're not. I I guess we got to watch these last two games now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think you obviously want to see not a letdown, right? Like, you know, 100%. A a win, 1,000%. 
a win is probably asking a little bit too much. I agree. But you just you just hope that you don't see like a major hangover from last weekend. It cannot um, be Oklahoma State 2.0. Cannot right. happen. You know the the fact that they you know they they were the better team than Oklahoma a few weeks ago. By far the better team for the sure. majority of the game. They played yes. better. And and I think Oklahoma has been exposed as a fraud for sure, especially <laughs> after that Baylor game. And Texas is a fraud also. Oh, 100%. Um, you think but, Sark's going to get fired? Uh, I think a lot of Texas fans are regretting that decision to, to fire Tom Herman, who never yeah. had a losing season. Uh, that was as good of a win. We haven't even talked about this. and It's not a Texas podcast, but... For as good of a win, an impactful and monumental win as it was for Kansas, it was that bad, if not worse, of a loss yes, it was. for Texas. Absolutely. But that's neither here nor there. But, you know, you, you start you start to see that momentum. You want to keep it going against West Virginia. But I think the only other thing that I'll say about Lance Leipold, uh, I just I thought about this. I think another reason why um, I feel like this is a different situation is all the way back in the month of May when he was hired. Let's not forget the staff was not around until this spring. He was either hired in April or May. I mean, they've had they had a short offseason to get ready, but there were, I believe, seven, seven players from Buffalo that left their lives, uprooted their lives in Buffalo, and followed Lance Leipold and his staff to Kansas. And I think that tells you all you need to know about the character of this guy and who he is as a leader of young men playing collegiate football. They love playing for for Lance Leipold. I watched the interviews after the game against Texas. They all talked about Lance Leipold. You know, Les Miles was a big name, and and God bless him. He had a ton of credentials, and he was an entertaining guy. But I never heard anybody talk about Les Miles, any of the players talk about Les Miles, the way that they've already talked about Lance Leipold. And so that is meaningful to me. Um, We've talked about how Coach Leipold feels like the University of Kansas is losing in the recruiting battle in state, which is absolutely right. But it was great to see a kid from Plainville catch the winning yes. two point conversion. Uh, you always hear kids from Western Kansas playing for K State. It was cool to see a kid, and I think his brothers played for K State. But it was cool to see this guy play for Kansas and make that catch. Although the announcer called him Gerard because they had no idea who he was <laughs> instead of Jared. Jared. Um, but re- but regardless, that was cool. So there are all of these little. Little things that, you know, especially the way that the players talk about him and the fact that there were some that followed him to Kansas leads me to believe that we're not going to see the overall uh, improvement overnight, but but over the weekend was a good start. Three o'clock next week, the Horned Frogs on ESPN Plus next up for Kansas. We head west as the Kansas City Chiefs hit it big in Vegas. Tommy, you had been asking, requesting, and searching for a signature style and a signature win for Kansas City. They did not disappoint. They found it Sunday night on uh, on primetime in Las Vegas, pounding the Raiders into submission 41-14 at Allegiant Stadium. Chiefs won the turnover battle. Patrick Mahomes did look every bit like the Patrick Mahomes we have come to know and expect, though he did get very lucky. He had two really bad passes that both could have been picked off, but Kansas City's rushing attack was good enough. Kansas City's defense was superb. Tommy, you wanted a statement victory in this game. Not that anybody was necessarily picking Vegas to go to the Super Bowl or anything, but... This was the first place team in the AFC West. The winner had undisputed control of the division 
after this game. And there was more than a couple of Chiefs doubters across the country and across the state and hell, probably even on this show. But Tommy, this was absolutely a statement victory for the now first place Kansas City Chiefs. I said on this podcast a week ago that the 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 Chiefs were who we thought they were, um, or who I thought they were at least. They had not given me any reason to think that they were any more than just an average team, at best mediocre, at worst. Um, that was a signature win. It was a signature victory uh, when the Chiefs needed it the most. Um, I'm going to get the the credit wrong here, I'm pretty sure. I think it might have been Sam Mellinger from the Kansas City Star, but I don't. It might have been somebody else. But I was on social media earlier this week, and he had a tweet about Patrick Mahomes that um, kind of made me reevaluate my criticism of him earlier this season. Uh, somebody, I believe it was Sam, said that Patrick Mahomes, and I'm probably going to get the stat wrong too, but Patrick Mahomes, as far as the touchdowns thrown, Coming into this game against Las Vegas, had a I think a right around, if not the exact same number of touchdowns at this point this season as he did like a year ago at this time. And he did he did have more interceptions, but at least like half of those interceptions had bounced off the hands of receivers and into the hands of the defense. So his the whole point of that tweet was okay let's stop throwing all of this crap on Patrick Mahomes there are other problems going on he's still playing at a high level but it's maybe not superman level like we're used to but he's still an elite quarterback in the league and that kind of made me reevaluate things a little bit um but you have to believe that he's heard all of it uh, oh yeah Andy, Andy Reid's heard all of it uh, I know Brittany Lindsay heard all of it. Yeah. I guarantee you that because she tweets it out during every game. Travis Kelsey's heard all of it. Tyree Kill. They've all heard all of it throughout the course of the season. Tyron Matthew even called Chiefs fans toxic at one point during the season. They've all heard it. They actually went out and did something about it uh, in prime time on the big stage on the road against a division rival for first place in the league. And you know what? In years past, when these big games in the division come up, uh, and when it's for first place in the division, especially on primetime, I tend to get really nervous going into those games. For some reason, I wasn't nervous going into this one. And I think it was because the Chiefs tend to show up when they need to show up. And just historically speaking, during the Andy Reid era, they've struggled this season, but there was something to me that just thought, you know what, it's against the Raiders. Travis Kelsey plays against the Raiders better than any other team in the league. Patrick Mahomes should have a breakout game. The defense looked incredible, and everything came together for the first time this season. It only took 10 weeks. Um, without a doubt. And you look at the Chiefs' schedule this year. I mean, look at who they've lost to, by the way. Ravens, pretty darn good team. Yeah. Chargers have been – I mean, they've they've definitely fallen off of their high a little bit. The Buffalo Bills have definitely fallen off their high a little bit. But Tennessee's a solid team. Coming into the year, those were four very, very well-respected teams. And you look at what the Chiefs did offensively. They have over 34 uh, expected points twice this year. Did it against the Eagles. Did it against the Raiders. And the defense has had positive expected points four out of the last five weeks. So it does really feel like they have 
turned a quarter. They, they did a couple of things that I really liked, Tommy. They controlled the clock. They didn't have a single scoring drive of under seven plays. And we're so conditioned that the Chiefs are going to score in one play, two play. They're a big play offense. They controlled the clock. They did not have one single big play. I mean, I think their biggest play was like 30 plus, 30 so or so yards. But it didn't matter because they gave their defense time to recover. The Chiefs slaughtered the Raiders on third down. Kansas City was 9 for 15. The Raiders were 1 for 9. And the Chiefs converted on fourth down three times. And I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think they only came up empty in the red zone once. So it was very complimentary the way that they played. Not necessarily what we're used to seeing from Kansas City, but it was exactly what their defense needed. It gives their defense such a great chance to be successful. Not that I don't want them to throw 90-yard touchdown passes to Tyreek Hill, but I love that the Chiefs had such a great offensive game playing in a very, very different way with Patrick Mahomes checking down. I think he threw like 35 passes or something out of the 45, 50 he threw were within 10 yards, and he had like over 200 yards, yards after the catch. So they took what the Raiders gave them, which was the short dink and dunks, and they Threw it in their face, and I think that was—I thought that was absolutely fantastic to see. Yeah, it was great to see the running backs getting involved in the yes. passing game too. Uh, Daryl Williams had a couple of big catches. Jarek McKinnon uh, had a, a couple great catches also. Um, and what was great to see that was—it was kind of funny because all we heard about when the Chiefs drafted Clyde Edwards-Helaire in the first round was that the justification for drafting him so high was that. He's going to be really involved in the passing game because he was at LSU. He really hasn't been. Like, the Chiefs really don't utilize him a whole lot in the passing game. Um, he was injured. He didn't play on Sunday night. But they utilized Jarek McKinnon and Darrell Williams in the past game. Whatever. I don't care. It just It's funny that that was kind of the way that it all panned out. But, yeah, it was great to see those guys getting involved in that way. Um, and, really, I felt like the other thing that Patrick Mahomes did really well was he spread the ball out quite a bit. You know, we saw Byron Pringle getting involved, Nicole Hardman getting involved, Demarcus Robinson had targets. Um, I'm not quite sure where Josh Gordon fits in on this offense necessarily. I feel like his impact has been minimal at best. Uh, the couple games that he suited up for Kansas City, but he is another option out there, and he probably, when he is on the field, probably takes some attention away from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, you would think. So um, just his mere impact, you know, being on the field probably helps a little bit. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes spread the ball out a little bit. I thought the offensive line looked better uh, than they had the last couple of games. I thought the pocket was very clean for the yeah. vast majority of the game. Patrick had a lot more time. He wasn't running for his life quite as much as uh, I noticed he had been the last couple of games. But I don't think it can be overstated how much of an improvement we have seen from this defensive unit over the last several weeks or so. I mean, you know, they only gave up 14 points to the to the Raiders. They only gave up seven points to the Packers a week ago. We talked about the much maligned Chiefs defense over and over and over again at the beginning of the season, and something has clicked. I know that part of it had to do with the fact that, you know, I think the Chiefs have utilized Chris Jones a little bit more inside than outside, although yeah, I, I noticed he did line up at DE some. But uh, you said that a couple Raiders, of weeks but, ago that you thought that Jones needed to be back inside, yeah. and let's not discount some of the other guys because I thought Rashad Fenton played very well. Yeah. Pro football rankings, they had like four of the top five graded Chiefs 
Travis Kelsey was the was the exception. By the way, he was a baller in that game. Yeah. But they were all on defense. So, but you pointed out a couple of weeks ago that hey, Chris Jones needs to be on the inside, and it seems like that defense is working. Yeah, it is. I mean, that that's his natural position. That's why he became a, a star in the league. That's why he had so many sacks. I mean, that's his that's his bread and butter. Um, I thought it was a mistake initially when the Chiefs moved him to the outside. Uh, I didn't like that that call at all because that's not what he does. And he struggled. We didn't really hear a whole lot from Chris Jones from that position. Um, you know, so I think moving him back inside is the right call for sure. But yeah, the secondary, you know, has played a lot better. Uh, Teron Matthew, I, I obviously we can go on and on about the kind of impact he brings to Kansas City, but you know, his, he he makes his his presence known, you know, game in and game out. He had another great game uh, against the Raiders. So, you know, that secondary is stepping up. The, just the defense as a whole, you've got to feel really good about where they're at 10 weeks into the season. Cowboys coming up. They're 7-2. They destroyed the Falcons 43-3. 29 points in the second quarter for the boys in this game were, were the difference. Dak Prescott back, played very well. 34 for uh, 24 for 31, 296 yards, two scores. Ezekiel Elliott had two touchdowns, but only carried 14 times for about 44 yards. Tony Pollard had 11 carries for 42 yards, 37 rushes, 114 yards, three scores. Uh, any thoughts about this Cowboys team that the Chiefs will be facing uh, here coming up? They're a really good football team, but they're also vulnerable. We saw that two weeks ago. They not only lost, they got blown out of the water by Denver, by the Broncos in <laughs> Dallas, inside AT&T Stadium. Um, you know, so that was uh, the, the game against the Falcons. That was, uh, I felt bad for the Falcons because you knew the Cowboys were mad going into that game. They just wanted to beat somebody up, and they did. They took their frustrations out on the Falcons. The Falcons are not a good football team. Um, you know, so, th- I, you know, they're, they've got a lot of weapons. CeeDee Lamb. I think is a top five receiver in the game. Uh, obviously, we know what Ezekiel Elliott can do. Dak Prescott, when he's on, is a solid quarterback. I don't know if I buy into the hype that Dak Prescott is an elite quarterback at this point in his career. I think I need to see more from him. I think I need to see him stay healthy. Kind of on the fringe, isn't he? I think I need to see him stay healthy. I think I need to see him take his team deep into the postseason. Can we get to the um, Super Bowl? To right, get to, exactly. to an NFC yeah. championship game. But no. I do I do think that he's a weapon. I do think he's a, a good quarterback. I think he can put up a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns. Uh, so, yeah. But I am encouraged by, again, what we've seen from Kansas City's defense the last couple of weeks to try to neutralize that a little bit. So, you know, I, it's, it's going to be a, a, a tough matchup, but I am glad that the Chiefs got the victory in the way that they did against Las Vegas because that's the kind of momentum that the Chiefs need going into such a big game against the Cowboys. So, you know, I remember a couple of weeks ago on this show, we were talking about the Packers. At the time, we thought that Aaron Rodgers was going to be playing. And I boldly said, there is no way that Kansas City wins this game the way that they've been playing football, especially. I think we knew that he was not playing. And you still made that prediction that they were not going to beat the Packers because you were so negative on how the Chiefs were playing. Uh, I mean, we can check the receipts. I don't necessarily recall that. But um, regardless, the way that the Chiefs were playing at that time, I was not optimistic. Now, No, you were not. The, the Cowboys are a 
good NFC team, if not a great NFC team. But I'm a little bit more optimistic based on what we saw against the Raiders for the Chiefs going into this game on Sunday. Don't look now. Chiefs have won three in a row, four of their last five. Kind of interesting, Tommy. There are no, I think that this is correct, no one-loss teams in the league at all. Everybody's got two losses, so there's more parity this year. Arizona was the last remaining team at 8-1, and and they got blowed out by Carolina. Of course, Arizona was missing Kyler Murray and uh, DeAndre Hopkins. But That's a big yeah, Blown big out by, by, by the new starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton. <laughs> yeah, new the new QB, same as the old QB. Yep. Uh, 325 kickoff for the Chiefs on Fox coming up this weekend. Last topic of the show, Kansas State just kind of workmanlike, just kind of a business trip again, and they take care of business to win their fourth game in a row. They controlled West Virginia 34-17 at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Kansas State started hot, a 14-0 lead at the end of the first, blocking a punt, running it in. First win, I would not have told you this, West Virginia had owned the Wildcats. First win for KSU over West Virginia since 2015. It was 24-3 in the third quarter. Back-to-back touchdowns by West Virginia to cut the lead to seven. But that was really just that blip there was really the only, you know, kind of bad defense that Kansas State played at all in the game. Kansas State scored the last 10 points of the game to hang on and win. Felix and UDK Uzoma forced another fumble. He leads the country with six. He tied the Kansas State single-season record, and they still got two games left. Defense picked off West Virginia twice. And again, Skylar Thompson was not amazing, Tommy, but Kansas State special teams were special again. This is how Kansas State has won games when they've played well this year, and I think moving forward, this is going to be the identity of Coach Kleiman's program. Yeah, I definitely think it is, and and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what Kansas State fans come to expect from their team. Um, you know, we we've discussed it multiple times before that it's been really important. I feel like for Chris Kleiman to um, identify what that identity is for his team. So when you go to Kansas State and you play for Chris Kleiman, what kind of player are you? What sort of game plan? are you going to be expected to carry out? And what is your identity going to be moving forward? And different teams and different coaches have different philosophies on that. Who are we going to be as a program? Uh, and, And the one thing, especially last season, when that team was going through so much adversity, uh, you know, losing their last six games, I really felt like they had not yet identified what their identity was going to be. We all know for so long that, School that program has been associated with Bill Snyder for good reason. The dang stadium is named after the guy for for good reason. As it should be, yeah. But I think that one of the things that dogged Ron Prince, outside of not being a very good football coach, but one of the other (laughs) things that dogged Ron Prince... Not being able to recruit. Not being able to recruit. Not being being able able to do a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, But was the fact that Ron Prince, or that uh, Bill Snyder's fingerprints were still all over that program. And so even for the first couple of years for Chris Kleiman, I think it was important for him to still respect the what was built, the foundation that was there from Bill Snyder, respect who he was and what he did, but then also start to 
pull away a little bit and establish who you are as a coach and what your program is going to do. I think in year three, he's done a much better job of that. I think he has his team in a good position, not just on the football field, but also communicating with them, uh, working with them, developing them. There were reports last season, and there were a few players that had transferred out that that there were some players that did not particularly enjoy playing for Chris Kleiman for one reason or another. Who knows? We're not going to speculate. But, you know, that was something towards the end of the season last year. We've heard none of that this season. So I feel like uh, Chris Kleiman has done a much better job in year number three. Some of it might just be being that much more comfortable in his skin as the head coach of Kansas State University. And I would think that with the kind of guy that he is and the kind of football coach he is, that's only going to continue to improve as the years go on. Can we also take a moment here to appreciate Deuce Vaughn? You look at what he's done in the ground game. Look at the three games that Kansas State lost. Now, he had a couple of very nice receiving games against Oklahoma State, against Oklahoma. He had about 15 catches, went for 177 yards, two touchdowns in those games. Against Iowa State, he just kind of looked like a guy. Cyclones really shut him down. But in those games, he did not carry for over 18 yards. He did not get over 100 yards rushing in any of those games. Texas Tech game, not a very good performance for Kansas State. Only rushed for 52 yards. Did have two scores, but had some very short fields. It was the defense that kind of set up the offense in that game. The last three weeks, TCU, 20 rushes, 109 yards, two touchdowns. Not only carried the ball 11 times against Kansas, but Kansas was awful. He busted off an 80-yard run, three touchdowns. And against West Virginia, they gave him the freaking ball. 25 carries, 121 yards with a touchdown for Kansas State, and really hasn't been that big of a factor. Now against KU, he caught six passes for 70 yards, but again, it was Kansas there. You know, defense is not going to be a thing that Coach Leopold's going to get fixed in Lawrence this year. It just isn't. But Kansas State offensively has given the rock to freaking Deuce. So. Like moving forward, because you know Deuce Vaughn is a sophomore, five six one seventy three, so he's probably going to be back because everybody in the NFL is going to say, "Oh, he's too small to play." We've never seen a Kansas State, you know, we've never seen a running back who can do these things before. But you know, next year, can we please give Deuce the freaking ball every game and let him run twenty times? Like, what what's going on that you can't look at twenty two and say, "Wow, I think he might be our best player." You know, I think we got to give him the ball like pretty much every single series. Give Deuce Vaughn the ball. I'm sure it's a usage thing. I'm sure it's a we don't want to wear this guy out. We don't want to, you know, risk. I don't hear people talking about usage sort of with Brees Hall. I mean, that's fair. I, but again, it's a different coach at Iowa State versus at, at Kansas State. I mean, it's different potentially different philosophies and how you utilize a running back. I mean, they're both special talents for sure, but, and I don't know the answer to it. I'm just speculating. Sure. I, maybe, I get it. Maybe there's a, a, a question about, you know, durability. Do we want to expose him as a running back by giving him the ball 25 times, or should we pick our spot and only utilize him when we feel like there's a good opportunity? I don't, I don't necessarily know, but I, I don't think that you can, Uh, And I'm not going to argue the fact that he is a special talent, that he is the best offensive player, maybe the best all around player 
on that entire roster for Kansas State. That's going to continue. I think that he is growing into uh, potentially the best running back in the Big 12 um, moving forward. I mean, obviously, Brees Hall is there this year, but I think that we're just going to continue to see more and more and more out of this guy. And I, I agree with you. I think that for the Wildcats to have their best chance of success offensively, especially next year when you for sure lose Skylar Thompson and you don't have him back, Deuce Vaughn has got to be the guy in Manhattan. Coming up for the Kansas State Wildcats, two games left in their season. Big, 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 big test coming up this week. Kansas State is receiving votes yet again, but they got the number 11 Baylor Bears after they knocked off the Sooners last week. The Sooners tumbling from four all the way down to 12. Baylor is a good team. They are a sneaky good team. And we did not think Baylor was going to be anything special this year, so uh, I I have to do this for both of us, Tommy. We both get the hot take horn on that because neither one of us had Baylor as being the best team or even in the top three teams in the Big 12 this year. We were wrong. I do want to counter that by going all the way back to our college football preview when we talked about bold predictions uh, for the Big 12. And I remember specifically saying that Texas was going to be bad this year. (laughs) You did. You did. You did say that. And you looked like an idiot through the first month of the season. Um, And now you look like a savant. So who knows how that's that's going to work out long term. Uh, Oklahoma, by the way, probably out of the college football playoff now, much to the delight of our future Big 12 mate, the Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, Wildcats are receiving votes again in the AP Top 25. That's a 4.30 p.m. kickoff for the Wildcats and the Bears coming up on FS1. It is time now for our favorite part of the show. It is time to hit the music as we go around Wichita for our Wichita whip around and look at all the stories that maybe you missed this week. Tommy, we'll go to you, your Wichita whip around story for this episode 85 of the show. Well, it's obviously all about high school football, and I know you're going to have a big high school football recap, so I figured I would just open the door slightly for you. Sure. I'm not, I'm not going to steal your thunder. I'm not going to give a recap. I am just going to start off by saying... How about those Crusaders? Yeah, boy, there is no doubt about that. The Cape and Mount Carmel Crusaders, 38 to 35 winners in Class 5A, and maybe Cape and Mount Carmel. I know they didn't win the Holy War. I know they didn't beat Carroll. I know they only split the City League Championship. And by the way, I'll give myself a little credit too. I'd said that you better not look past Wichita Northwest. They didn't. And they were able to take care of business against the Grizzlies at a neutral site at Heights last week. They have got the Mays Eagles. They beat Hayes 48 to 26. So Capen and Mays, that'll be hosted at Wichita Heights. So Capen designated as the home team uh, for the right to play in the championship against either Mill Valley or St. Thomas Aquinas to 5A powers from the eastern half of the league. Western half of 6A, not a real surprise. Derby advances. Free State pushed the Panthers 27-21, but Derby stays undefeated. And much to my delight, those ridiculous Manhattan Indians got, of course, they uh, did not live up to their potential. And of course, they fell short because that's always what Manhattan does. Uh, The Lawrence Chesty Lions, way to go, Lawrence. 41-22 for the right to face either Blue Valley West or Blue Valley Northwest. Moving on to Class 4A, 
in the eastern half it'll be saint james academy or the five and six bishop miege stags awaiting the winner of the western half of the playoffs bueller and andover central so bishop miege kind of sneaking in here to the playoffs because everybody gets in in kansas and they've been able to just kind of you know mosey their way through they play in one of the most ridiculously tough leagues in the state in the eastern kansas league bueller they were able to win a low-scoring affair, to say the least, 7-0 over Mulvane to move to 10-1. They have got Andover Central coming up, 10-1 on the year after absolutely annihilating Wamigo, 48-0 in that game. And we wrap up with 3A, just one team left. The Cheney Cardinals' perfect season comes to an end. They lose by six to southeast of Saline, and they will be uh, traveling. Or then, no, they will be awaiting. I beg your pardon. The Andale Indians, undefeated at 11 and 0. It'll be two perfect teams. Andale made quick work of Concordia, 54-14. Winner gets either Holton or Frontenac in the 3A state football championship. So, boy, it is absolutely a special time of year coming up on Friday, and can you imagine uh, the celebration that will erupt, that will engulf the eastern half of the Catholic community here in Wichita if Capen's able to even just make the state championship game. Um, let's see, does they, they have, they don't have, God, they normally on the brackets have where it is hosted. It had been hosted the past few years uh, at Pittsburgh State University. Um, I'm not sure if, if Pitt State is hosting again this year, but um, they can just make the championship game and be playing football on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Um, boy, the, the legend of Weston Sharts, I cannot imagine how big that will be if they make that happen. Yeah, so um, I don't have, and uh, maybe I've mentioned this here on the on the show before, um, I, I don't have any personal allegiance to Capen, uh, but my wife is a Capen grad. Yes, my, she is. My, my wife's family, like her cousins all went to Capen. It's a big deal. Um, and, and it's always a big deal, especially when they play Carol um, in the Holy War. But the fact that they've been able to go as far as they have, um, you know, Weston Sharts um, is a, a, a family friend. He knows my in-laws. He knows other people of my in my wife's family. Um, you know, so and I, I don't know him personally. I've never met him. But um, what he's done to that Crusaders program after spending all those years at West High um, you know, just pretty special. Uh, and so obviously, you know, I don't necessarily have a dog in the fight, but man, it'd be cool to see Capen, you know, go all the way. Yeah, Mason. So it's going to be one Cedric County team, May South as well. Coach Pfeiffer is a fantastic guy. He's had his program uh, up and around the top of 4A Division One when that was a thing, and 4A, and now bouncing back to 5A, to 5A. So you know, both May schools, both uh, Wichita Catholic schools, and Wichita Northwest all doing very, very well. And Wichita East made a run as well. So great to see them all going. And Andale still alive, as you knew that they probably would be uh, in their bracket as. Well, we go to our last segment, the additions, corrections, and retractions. Any ACs or R's for you, Tommy? Yeah, I do have a correction for you. I believe that you said earlier in the program, correct me if I'm wrong, that Kansas had not scored more than 50 points in a game since that well, game against Kansas okay. State. Uh, I, I, may, I think I self-said. Hold on. September 3rd, 2016, Kansas defeated Rhode Island 55-6. to 
And then September, let me find it, September 15th of 2018, I was actually at this game. Kansas defeated Rutgers by a final score of 55 to 14. So those are, uh, those, that's my correction for you. I mean, I I think I mentioned when I said that, like, I'm not sure that I, that this is actually correct. It had been a while. So, I mean, well, I think I hasn't been, it's been, it's been three seasons. It hasn't been that long. Well, 2018. uh, that that was semi self-reported there, so oh. we're we're not going to get the horn on that, that one. That was still a correction. Uh, sure, that that's fair enough. Uh, in addition, for me, Kyle Cuff Jr. Cam Martin both announcing that they're redshirting the 2021-2022 season for the Jayhawks. A little bit surprised about Cam Martin, but he's weighed down on the front court depth chart, so I'm not. I, I can understand Kansas two and zero with wins over Michigan State and Tarleton State last week. They've got Stony Brook on Saturday, then they're off until Thanksgiving at the ESPN Events Invitational against North Texas, Miami, Alabama, probably the two schools KU most likely to play over this Thanksgiving weekend. It's a Thursday, Friday, Sunday event. Um, Obviously, the big game, Tommy, was the Michigan State game as part of the Champions Classic. Rather impressive performance. Remy Martin looked good, but uh, can we just remember that, oh yeah, Ochai Abaji is on this team, and yeah, he's he might be the best player at KU, so uh, super impressive win over a Michigan State team that came in, you know, just outside of the top 25. What are your early impressions of uh, Jayhawk basketball? Yeah, I mean, it was really great to see how Kansas played in that opening game against Michigan State. Now, let's keep in mind, Michigan State right now is kind of down. I have no doubt Tom Izzo, and he always gets his teams uh, squared Ready away March. when it comes to, you know, January and February. But as of right now, they're not a top 25 team. They're not an amazing basketball team. Uh, but still, it's the Champions Classic. It's Madison Square Garden. Uh, you have one exhibition game that the Jayhawks played before they jump right into the big time on ESPN to kick off the season. You don't get a ton of you know powder puff games before you jump into that. And so uh, I was really happy with the way that that team gelled. Um, you know, I, I think Remy Martin struggled at the very beginning of the game. Um, sure. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see exactly what his role is. Um, the guy's a, a he can score from any. Anywhere. He can take it to the to the rim uh, whenever he wants to. He can be incredibly effective. I wonder if Bill Self wants him to be a little bit more of a distributor than what he's being right now. But he reminds me so much of like a Frank Mason or a Devon Dotson, uh, which is something that the Jayhawks lacked last season when they didn't have anybody like that uh, in that position. But Ochai Abaji, uh, through the first two games against Michigan State and Tarleton State, um, he's he's looking like a national player of the year candidate. Yeah, uh, I know he was so close to declaring to the NBA, um, and I'm glad he didn't, obviously, for the Jayhawks, but just also so college basketball fans can watch him play uh, for one more season because we've talked about it forever. That and, and this was something that Weston jumped on all the time when it came to Ochai Abaji, that you looked at him and you saw a guy that could be a star, but he never quite put Put it all the way together, and this could be his opportunity to do so. I'm really looking forward to watching this team. I think they're going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely, without a doubt. Wichita State women's basketball, by the way, is 2-0. They demolished Chicago State. Tough win against Wyoming on Saturday. They are currently at Denver tonight playing as we do the show, and they are up with one minute to play in the first half, 32-26. So you'll know Did that you result. Did you see... 
Did you see that score when I don't remember who they played in their opening game? Omaha, Chicago maybe? State. Chicago State. That's right. And they were up twenty-five to two in the first <laughs> that, quarter. That was unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like a twenty-five-two run to start the game. Um, but as as you uh, watch this show or listen to this podcast, uh, you'll know the result of Wichita State basketball for the women. Hopefully, three and zero for the men. Tommy, a couple of testers, two and zero, a couple of single-digit wins against Jacksonville State and South. Alabama, not necessarily the, you know, announce ourselves to the world like you would have maybe wanted. Now, let's not, you know, overlook the positive. The defense has been superb both games, but the offense not quite clicking yet. A lot of open threes missed against South Alabama. Obviously, Tyson Etienne with an unbelievable shot from the logo to win the season opener for Wichita State. They've got Tarleton State uh, as it'll be tonight, as you are watching or listening to the podcast, 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus against Tarleton State. Then they head to the Roman main event to play Arizona Friday in Vegas on the U, the championship third place game on Sunday against either Michigan or UNLV. Uh, that will be on ESPN or the Deuce. Um, so early on, very, very good defense for Wichita State men's basketball, Tommy, but the offense not quite all put together yet. I'm going to give a hot take here. So get that hot take horn ready to go. Really? I'm going to self-report myself here, but I, I wholeheartedly believe this. That game-winning three-pointer from Tyson Etienne was awful. It was Why? awful. It was awful. Why is it awful? Because it never should have happened. The fact that they needed a game-winning three-pointer to beat Jacksonville State... A lot of people, I mean, Come a lot on. of people have, a lot Come of people on. think Jacksonville State is going to be a very good team in their league. Okay, it's a very, very good er- team in their league. Very cool. I uh, mean, the bottom line is that, that I, the game should have never. awful is too far. Awful is too it far. Was a, it was a cool shot, and it's a good thing for the it's Shockers. He made shot. it. Good thing he made it. Otherwise, it would have been an overtime game. And the way that the Shockers have been playing that game, there's no guarantee that they win. Uh, so, yeah, it was an impressive shot, but it should have never happened. The Shockers should have never been in that position. They should have won that game by at least 10 points, if not more. It should have been in hand much, much earlier. So, yeah, it's a hot take. Whatever I said what I said, I stand by it. I mean, yeah, I I, I can't, you know, if you want to say it's disappointing, sure, I get that. And I know that they wanted to play better. I'm sure that Coach Brown needs them to play better. They're going to have to play better to be better in the American Athletic Conference. Awful, I think, is a a step too far. Uh, Kansas State is 1-0. They won over Florida A&M by 10. They have got Nebraska-Omaha coming in Wednesday at 7 p.m. at Bramlage. Nigel Pack scored 18 points to lead the Cats. Mike McGurl did not have a good game at all. 0-6 from the field, 0 for 3 from the three-point line. So uh, not not necessarily a gliding start for the Wildcats, Tommy. Uh, we'll see how they look on Wednesday against the Mavericks of Omaha. Yeah, I've got a couple of uh, other additions. Uh, yeah, go for it. Are those it. all your additions? Or, that's, or... that's all that I got. So <laughs> the rest of the additions are for you. So a couple of other additions. Congratulations to Salvador Perez winning his fourth career Silver Slugger Award. Uh, it's absolutely egregious to me that he was not in the top three for the AL MVP. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a joke. He led the league in home runs. How and RBIs. You, how are you not in the top three yeah, for ridiculous. MVP 
for the league. It doesn't make any sense to me, but well-deserved picking up his fourth career sl uh, Silver Slugger Award. And then the championship matchup is set for the uh, JUCO Championship, the KJ Triple uh, C Championship at Riverfront Stadium this Sunday afternoon as Garden City takes on Hutchinson. Uh, Butler, uh, the original number one seed, I believe. Isn't that they right? Were they number, number two one? Seed or number two they... seed. The original number two seed moved down to number eight. They were bounced by Garden City by a score of 27-16 on uh, this past Sunday. And Hutchinson beat Independence 42 to nothing to move on to the championship game. And I actually do have one more that I totally forgot. Friends University Women's Soccer, the Falcons, made an appearance. Uh, they are going into the NAIA National Championship Tournament. They've got number six, John Brown University, coming up on Thursday. In the opening round, they'll face the Golden Eagles in Arkansas, a Golden Eagles top seed in that bracket. They were picked seventh in the KCAC in the preseason poll, finished 11-4-3 to get a national tournament berth. Second time in the last three seasons, they were the second seed in the KCAC tournament. And so we will see uh, how they do against John Brown. They're a very good Sooner Athletic Conference team with 17-1 and this year. So great to see the Falcons uh, women's soccer team and another local program here uh, getting to a national tournament so congratulations to them well i do have one more addition if you are going to give a shout out to friends university oh i'll go God. ahead You're gonna go and give a shout out here? to south to southwestern oh, here uh, i don't know if you saw That's this shameless. or not but uh southwestern clinched a share of the kcac uh regular season title in football and they I did have see that with bethel have, right yep and they have made it to the naia playoffs for the first time since 1999 they will be in the field that, yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. I think Bethel also made the playoffs. Um, so, the, yeah, great for the KCAC to get two teams into the playoffs as well. Actually, Very three, good one for the KCAC. Three. Oh, uh, that's Kansas, right. Yeah. yeah, Kansas Wesleyan made it as well. Oh, yeah. Duh. They've been the best team in the KCAC for the last yep. few years, so that's not a surprise at all to see them. And how about Terry Harrison, by the way, coming from Heights and uh, taking over a Bethel program that had basically no success at all over the last decade, and now they're the best team in the conference. So, so unbelievable actually, job by him. I'm looking at the field right now. So uh, Bethel did not make the playoffs. They did not so make only, the playoffs. Only two teams. So Southwestern was the uh, KCAC regular season champion, and then Kansas Wesleyan was an at-large. Southwestern beat Kansas Wesleyan on the road in Salina last weekend to clinch that championship. Wow. Ph phenomenal year for Southwestern. I mean, I can understand why you would have brought that up. Um, wow. I cannot believe Bethel at 9-1 and one did not make the postseason. Yep. That's wow. The, the Also, I didn't know that there was a three-way tie for the KCC title this year. Can you imagine being Bethel? You're the number 10 team in the country and you don't get to go. I, that's that's unbelievable to me that that that, that happened. Well, but. I think that I think that Southwestern played spoiler. Uh, you know, Kansas Wesleyan, I think, was number five in the country. Bethel yes. was ten, and Southwestern was thirteen. And then Southwestern beat uh, Kansas Wesleyan, and I, there just wasn't, I guess, enough room for another at-large bid from that conference. So I guess it it came down to you know the regular season champion and yeah. one at-large bid. I think Southwestern played spoiler. I think you might be right. I think NAI does do it. I don't. 
it's been a while. I used to cover NAI. I did the football at Doan College, and yeah, how they select the teams is a lot more geographic, and and yeah, I, I do think that, that that probably played into it. So anyway, uh, three great teams in, in the KCAC as well, and best of luck to the builders uh, coming up and, and the Coyotes as well in the NAI uh, football championship. That is it. That's, that's the show in the book. So we have got next week... Let's see if KU can have a response. Will the Wildcats continue to win college basketball and a very, very, very big game for the Kansas City Chiefs against the Dallas Cowboys all coming up on our next episode of the show. Uh, We'll be taking a week off after Thanksgiving, but we will get you set for Feast Week coming up next week. So make sure you like, share, and subscribe whatever platform that you're viewing or listening on. Email it to a friend. Really appreciate all the interaction. Thank you so much for supporting the show. It means a lot to us. And it would mean a lot to you if you would follow us on Twitter at CogPie, the best place to find us. Uh, if you are wanting the show, of course, we are available at CogPod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games and the podcast drops, CogPod.Podomatic.com. And Tommy's also on Twitter and he will tell our beloved audio listeners where you, they can find him on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, after I tell you this, I'm going to go to bed. That's my, that's my plan. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you, I'm shocked. I was able to get through this. Uh, you, you did can it. follow, you can follow me anytime on Twitter at tweets from Tommy. And I am at B E Crips, B E C R I P P S on Twitter. So for an exhausted Tommy, and by the way, your voice is a long way from your heart. We're proud of you. We're proud Thank of the you. kids. Uh, I am that. Blake Cripps. We'll see you next week on the keeper of the games. Take care guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.